We come back this morning to verses 8 through 10. And in our previous study, we focused on verses 8 and 9, and we just lightly touched on 10. Uh, So today we'll touch on 8 and 9, and we'll put our focus on verse 10. But once again, let me just read them to you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. When we say that we are saved by grace through faith, some mistakenly think we are saying that works have no place in the Christian life. That is a uh, mistake. We are not saying that. Of course, the Bible does not teach that. To hold a view like that, you would have to deny much of the New Testament. Because over and over again in the pages of the New Testament, we have words of encouragement and we have instruction in regard to good works. Let me give you a few examples. In Matthew 5.16, Jesus himself said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Paul, in writing to Titus in chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, he said, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. And there are many, many passages that say the same thing. Hebrews chapter 10, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. In Colossians chapter 1, Uh, Paul there in his prayer uh, that you may have a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Uh, Once again in Hebrews, the 13th chapter, now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ. And then one more, Galatians 6, 9, and 10, and let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, this is an abbreviation when it comes to the number of, of passages. There are many, many more passages, but I just gave you a few just to show you that the Bible does teach quite clearly that we as Christian people are going to be engaged in good works. What the scripture teaches is that we are not saved through good works, but to good works. 
we are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. As John Stott put it, God or good works are indispensable to salvation, not as its ground or means, but as its consequence and evidence. And so when we think about this, what we, the way I think the best way to understand it is that faith is the root of salvation and good works are the fruit of salvation. So we're saved by grace through faith. We make no contribution. All we do is believe. But once we've believed, then works proceed forth from that. And that's exactly what the apostle says as he moves into the 10th verse. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand for us to walk in. And so we are his workmanship. And he is working in us as his people to bring forth from our lives the fruits of his presence in our lives. Now, the word here in verse 10, translated workmanship, we are his workmanship. This is an interesting word in the Greek. It's the Greek word poema. The Greek word poema. Now, that is the word that we get our English word poem from. But to say that we are his poem would not really be accurate because uh, the, the, the English word poem is too limiting. Uh, the Greek word poema is, is broader. It's more, there's more to it than just uh, the idea of a poem. Uh, it really refers to any work that someone might accomplish or specifically any work of art. It could refer to a statue, could refer to a song, uh, a poem, a painting, uh, an architectural structure. Uh, the word is, is applied to each one of those things. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, the well-known scholar, he translated verse 10 or, or the word workmanship here, he translated it as his masterpiece. So we can understand it in that way. For we are his workmanship, or we are his work of art, or we are his masterpiece. This word is only used one other time in the New Testament, and it's used in Romans chapter one, and it's translated the things that were made. And in Romans chapter one, it's talking about the, um, the natural creation, talking about the heaven, the earth, and all of the things therein. So it's only used in these two places, once of the natural creation, and now here in Ephesians 2.10 of the new creation, the new creation, which would be each of us individually, but then it would be all of us collectively making up the church. And so what, what the apostle is teaching us is that the church is God's great masterpiece. The church is the ultimate manifestation of God's 
great creative power. That, that is so fascinating to me. Uh, because when you, when you look at the church, you would be tempted to question that. If this is God's masterpiece, it seems like something's gone wrong at, at some point. But it's not finished yet, you see. Remember, even in the, the beginning of the original creation, the natural creation, what does it say in Genesis chapter one? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light. And so there, there was a process, and so the same is true with the church. We are in the midst of this process where God is bringing forth his greatest work, his greatest work of art, this thing called the church, that each and every one of us are a part of. You know, if you think of a, a mosaic, if you, if you were to, say, look at the material that a mosaic would be made from, you would find that mosaics uh, could be made from broken pieces of pottery, broken uh, pieces of tile and jagged rocks and things like that. Even if you were to come to a mosaic that's completed, if you came up close to it, you might only see those broken and jagged pieces. But when you take a step back and you can take in the whole thing, you see the beauty of it. You see the magnificence of it. And so it is with the church as we look at it today and we can even take it down to our own personal life. Sometimes we just seem like nothing more than broken pieces of pottery, uh, jagged edges and things like that. But, but God is in this process of, of refining and developing and, and placing each and every uh, part just exactly where it belongs. So one day it will be manifest to all, to the angels, the principalities, the powers. One day it will be seen God's great, great brilliance through the church. Now, thinking of God in this sense that Paul presents it here, that God is a, is a great artist, we see that in the natural realm, as I've already said. But, but think about the great art that exists in the museums of the world today, the great artist of the present and the past. And, you know, it's interesting that every one of them, all they're really seeking to do is, is accurately replicate what they've seen in the original, the beautiful landscapes and the, the different types of uh, styles of painting and so forth. And, and you look at it and you see that, wow, this really looks so much like the original. Well, God is the author of the original. He's the one who created the world. And we see in the beauty of the natural creation, we see God's uh, creative genius. It's all around us. As we were 
there in the Caribbean last week. We had an up close and personal example of these kinds of things. As we were there in um, Jamaica, for example, and we, a number of us hiked up the, the Duns River Falls, and there we were, uh, these beautiful cascading waterfalls down the side of this mountain and hiking up in the midst of all of this lush uh, tropical vegetation. And then as we had the opportunity to go to the different islands and to uh, pull into these, you know, out from the deep blue sea in the Caribbean to pull into these coves into the turquoise and the the aqua colored water and then to put on the, the mask and the snorkel and just go beneath the surface and see all of this amazing uh, sea life right there before us. And, and all of these things are just speaking to us about God's great artistic ability, about his creative genius. It was Augustine who said concerning Man, he said, men go abroad to wonder at the height of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the circular motion of the stars, and they pass by themselves without wonder. It's so true, isn't it? We, we sometimes, we get away from the, the city and we get away from, you know, everything that speaks to us so loudly of of man's creativity and we get out into nature and we see what God has made. But as we daily would behold ourselves in a mirror, really there we're looking at something that is so marvelous. It's such a, a marvelous creative feat, but yet we pass by ourselves so often uh, without wonder. R. Kent Hughes in his Ephesians commentary Speaking of the wonder of the human body, he said, consider a newborn baby, a physical wonder. Its mind is an amazing computer recording virtually everything it experiences. Its eyes pass on incredible amounts of data through, or first through the cornea, then through the focusing lens where the image strikes the retina, stimulating 125 million nerve endings simultaneously. This is processed by millions of micro switches and funneled down the optic nerve, which contains one million separate insulated fibers, so there can be no short circuit. When the information reaches the brain, an equally complex process begins, all of which takes place in a millisecond. You know, we are this amazing work of art. We are this uh, incredibly complex and precise machine that God has put together, a true masterpiece. So we have creation, the natural world. We have man, the crown of that creation. But then what Paul is describing here is something even beyond that, something even more magnificent than that. He's talking about the new creation in Christ. In writing to the Corinthians in the second epistle in chapter five, verse 17, he says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. We have been created 
in Christ Jesus, we have been given a new and endless life. We are a new person brought into being for the glory of God. You see, when God first created humanity, when he first created Adam, and then he created Eve, God's intention, of course, was that man would live in communion with him, but also that man would be a, a true reflection of who God is, that he would, be, uh, he would bear the image of God and that he would live solely to the glory of God. But all of that was marred when sin entered in. So now what God is doing, he's, he's in the process of developing a whole new creation and he started with people. He started with us. We are his masterpiece, his work of art created in Christ, created for good works, created for the glory of God. Here's something to think about. Each of us has an eternally designed job description, which includes the task, the ability, and the place to serve. That's true. Each of us has an eternally designed job description. See, before we ever came into the world, God planned in advance for us to come into the world. He planned in advance jobs for us to accomplish, and he has prepared us to do those very things. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, think about this. If every believer, if every child of God were to function in their intended place and operate according to the giftings that God had given to them and served in those very places that God had prepared, this is where you would see the beauty and the glory of the church. The problem is we don't do that. But like I said, in the end, it'll, God's going to work it all out. But, but if there could be, you know, if we could just take one day, one day in history, where all of God's people all over the world simultaneously were right where they should be doing exactly what they were recreated in Christ to do, that'd be a great day. That'd be a glorious day. That day will eventually come, but we can certainly help that as we give ourselves over unreservedly, as we yield ourselves up, as we just surrender ourselves to God's plan and his purpose for our lives. And that's what Paul is really describing here. Created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. You know, it works like this. Paul said it in another way in Philippians. He said, it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So you see, before we ever came into 
existence. God had works that he wanted to accomplish. And, and these are things that he wants to do in history. Before we ever came into existence, he planned for us to do those things. So as we come into life and as we eventually come into faith in Christ, then what happens is God begins to put in our hearts the will to do those things. And so we start to find ourselves daydreaming about things we might do for the Lord. We start to have what you might call spiritual fantasies. We start to think about things that we might accomplish for the glory of God, for the furtherance of his kingdom. Now, quite often when we do that, what we also find is almost immediately as we start to get off and imagining these wonderful things that might be a possibility, there, there comes the suggestion immediately to us, oh, no, no, don't, that, that's never going to happen. You, are you kidding? God couldn't use you for that. Who do you think you are? You don't have any special ability or talents or, you know, that, that's never going to happen. And so those thoughts are, are kind of quenched. But they, they come back over and over again. We, we think of them. And then that, that same kind of scenario, we go through it time and time again. But listen, those kinds of fantasies, those kinds of thoughts, those types of desires, we cannot just dismiss them as being nothing. We have to understand this is how God moves us in the direction of his will. He puts it in us. It is God who works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. He begins to put in our hearts the things that he wants to accomplish through us. So we start to desire these things. We start to think about them. We start to fantasize. And we start to even move in that direction. Don't dismiss those things. Don't think that, oh, this is just some crazy thought that has no basis in reality understand that this is the way God moves us along. He puts it in our hearts to do it. And here, what Paul is talking about are the good works. What do those good works look like? We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. What are good works? It's interesting. The Bible gives us many exhortations toward good works, but it never really gives us a, a, a list necessarily of what those things might be. You know, like, for example, here in the passage, Paul doesn't say uh, that we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. And now here, let me tell you real quickly, let me give you 10 things that are in that category of good works. We, we don't find those lists anywhere. In scripture, we certainly see examples of Jesus went about doing good. We see the apostles. We see uh, in the lives of Christians, God's people. In the biblical text, we see certain things that they do. But I think the reason why we're not given a list 
is because a list would limit what God wants to do. You see, the possibilities are really endless. The possibilities are endless. And there's going to be different manifestations of the the same kind of work. It's going to work itself out differently in my life than it might work itself out in your life. And God's just left it open so that we do not limit what he wants to do by saying that, well, you know, this is, this is the thing that uh, is a good work and, and this is exactly the way it has to be done. Uh, no, God, God has all kinds of diversity when it comes to these things. So the possibilities are limitless. And it's the spirit of God who is going to move upon each of us individually or sometimes groups of us collectively and and move us in a direction to do a particular thing that he's planned for us to do. And he's going to give us a very unique and uh, in some cases an individual method about uh, or, or in going about doing it. So the possibilities are endless regarding the good works. But They are things that are motivated out of love for Christ and directed toward his people and also directed toward those who God loves, which would be all of humanity. So when we think of good works, we we don't want to limit it. We want to just be open to whatever the spirit might be leading us to do. I have some friends who had it on their hearts to go, one particular person, to go back to his native land. He's from Ethiopia. And when he originally left Ethiopia, he never wanted to return. But through a process, he became a Christian. And there began to be a stirring in his heart. Coming from Ethiopia, he understood uh, the plight of children in that nation. And he knew that many children were uh, abandoned because of different tribal customs and things like that. Some of them were given up for death. And he, he just began to have this heart for these kids. He began to have this desire to do something to rescue these children from a life, a short life that would be lived under dangerous circumstances uh, at the you know, hands of um, evil people or, or the elements or whatever. So, so God begins to stir his heart and then he meets a, a young woman and they fall in love and she has a similar desire. And then they hook up with some other friends and they've been having the, the same kinds of desires to help children and everything comes together. They've got this vision and they end up going together as a team to Ethiopia and they get themselves a little house and they just begin to put the word out that they are there to take abandoned children. And they are doing one of the most amazing works right now as many, many children have come to them through all different kinds of ways, from infants all the way up to maybe 13, 14, 15 years old. 
in that culture because some of the tribal customs, uh, they will, for whatever reason, they will consider that a child is under a curse and they will banish the child from the tribe. Sometimes they'll actually even kill the child to free themselves from the curse. And they take in these children. And one of our good friends and a person who serves in the ministry with us, Colin McLean. Colin went over recently to experience this whole thing and he, he took a, a video or took his video camera and he made a, a short film on this ministry there. And I'll tell you, as I watched it, I was just so moved. I was so touched. And Argob, the Ethiopian guy who had the vision and went back, he was telling a story about how you know, the last thing he ever wanted to do was return to Ethiopia until he became a believer. And then God began to put it on his heart. But again, like so often is the case, but how could I do this? It seems so impossible. Where, how could I get the resources? What, how am I going to get a, a, a house or a place to facilitate the children? How would I get the children to come to me? But he just went with that desire and he kept following that thread and God has led them to that place now. And there they are with one house, but they're looking to open as many houses as possible. But I think of that as, as just a great example of the good works that God has uh, prepared beforehand for, for them to walk in. And I think of so many different people that I know who are doing wonderful things in the name of Jesus, blessing people, advancing the kingdom, impacting the world. And when you talk to them, you find out it all started with just this little thought, this thought that wouldn't go away, this desire that, that kept churning in them. That's how it works. He works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. So God knows what he wants us to do, so he begins to stir our hearts and to give us a desire in that direction, and then he moves us through a process of events. He moves us to that place. So God has prepared in advance good works for us to walk in. This is what we all need to realize. We need to realize that there's no accidents in the kingdom of God. And you are here at just the right time in just the right place with just the right gifts to fulfill the purpose that God has for you. There's not a single person in this room. There's not a single person listening to my voice who is a believer that God doesn't have works already prepared for you to walk in. It's just a matter of getting you from point A to point B. And like I said, it often starts with the desire. It starts right in the heart. Sometimes God moves you to a location. You had no desire. You get there and you start to see as you look around, wow, there's needs, there's things. Something comes into your mind. Now, the beauty to me of this word poema, the beauty of this whole picture that Paul is developing for us here is that what it's telling us is that our good works are not something we make happen, but they are something God makes happen 
as we walk with him. That's the beauty of this whole thing. It's not like God is saying, okay, I want you to do good works. Now figure out something and go out and do it. No, it doesn't work like that. God, he is just saying, walk with me. Walk with me, and I'm going to lead you into those things. That, that's the beauty of it. It's like Jesus, when he spoke to his original followers there, the, the guys that became the apostles. You know what he said to them? He said, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. They were called to be fishers of men. They were called to be evangelists. They were called to go out and spread the gospels, missionaries, and so forth. Uh, that, that was what he had already planned for them to do. What, what was their part? Follow me, Jesus said. And see, that's the same with us today. Whatever the calling might be, Jesus is saying to you and to me, he's saying, follow me. Follow me and I will make you what I want you to be and I will lead you to where I want you to go. That's the beauty of it. I think of uh, Peter. Jesus spoke to Peter. He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Uh, Jesus said, Peter, feed my sheep. This is the work that I have prepared for you. And all you do is you just, you just love me. You just, you just follow me. You just walk with me. And I, this is what I prepared you for. I prepared you to take care of my people. And this is, this is what I'm going to equip you to do. I'm going to enable you to do it. And I look at, I, I shared that passage because for me, that's something that God's been reminding me of. He's been speaking to me about, you know, I, I'm the kind of person who I, I want to do everything. I, I get a burden for every place. I get a burden for everything. It's hard for me to go on a cruise ship because I feel responsible. We've got to get everybody saved on the cruise ship here. <laughs> it's hard to relax sometimes. I'm all like, well, wait, I, I need to be um, looking out for that person I can evangelize or something. And, and you know, okay, that, that's okay, but that's... That's not it. That's me trying to come up with something. I got to do this for God. God's saying, look, I, here's what I've given you to do. You just do this. Just follow me. And I'll give you the ability to do this. Feed my sheep. Take care of my people. That's what I've asked you to do. That's what I'm equipping you to do. That's what I put in your heart to do. Now, that's me. And that's others who are in the same kind of position I'm in. But, of course, you're doing different things. You're out in the world. You have your life. You have your family. You have your career. You have your whatever it is. But in those things, that's where God wants to work this truth out. You are his workmanship. He's created you, especially with certain gifts and talents and abilities, and he is going to use you with those things. And in some cases, it might be that he's going to put in your heart uh, you know, to go off and to take a venture across the seas and to restart your life in a new culture, in a new country, amongst a new people. For others, he's going to send you right around the corner 
from where you live, or maybe just transfer your job to somewhere in the same community, but it's, it's going to be there that you will find that that's where those good works are that he's already prepared for you to walk in. But like I said, the thing about this passage to me that is so exciting is it, it just paints the picture of, of God as the artist. And what that speaks to me about is, you know, an, an artist works with inanimate things. You know, an artist works with a paintbrush and paint or a, or a pencil, or an artist works with clay to sculpt it, or, uh, you know, things like that. And the primary responsibility for the end product is not the, it's not the, the pencil or the brush or the clay. The primary responsibility for the end product is the artist himself. See, that's the beauty of this. This is God's doing this stuff. And this is what we need to understand. We need to understand God already knows what he wants you to do. And he knows what it's going to take for you to be able to do what he wants you to do. So he knows what he wants you to do. He knows what it's going to take for you to be able to do it. So guess what? He's going to give you the ability. God gives people abilities to do things that they can't do. But he calls them to do certain things that are beyond themselves. And he doesn't leave it up to us to try to work it up to where, okay, I've, now I can do this because I've worked so hard at it. Oh, he equips us. He's, he divinely equips us. He supernaturally equips us. I just finished reading through Exodus. And if you've read through Exodus recently, maybe you remember when it comes to the, the, the building of the tabernacle. There are these two men, Bezalel and Aholiab. And they are the ones who are responsible to build this place of worship, the center of worship for the true and the living God. They're the ones who are to come up with uh, um, the materials and they're to develop all the materials. They're to put the thing together. They're the ones that are to come up with the garments for the priesthood and so forth. And it says over and over again regarding these two men, God says, and I have put wisdom into their hearts. I have given them the ability to do what I've called them to do. And even as I was reading over that these past few days, I was just being reminded once again, this is how God works. So he has something for us to do. He knows what we need to do it. He gives us the uh, ability to do it. And then taking a step back again, he puts it in our hearts. We start to desire it. And it all happens just so beautifully and simply as we walk with him. I like the way one person put it. He said, all the works are ready. They only await the living doers and they're doing. So the works are ready. They're just awaiting the doers and God's the one who equips the doers. So today, as we close, know this. You are saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You're not saved by your works, but you were saved for works. 
not works that you can conjure up in your own strength, not works that you can imagine that, yes, I will do this great thing for God, but no, works that God has beforehand prepared for you to walk in. Every single one of us, there's works that God has called us to do. And listen, this is where the Christian life becomes what it is meant to be. If you're bored as a Christian, if you're feeling purposeless as a Christian, then I'll tell you the reason why. The reason why is because you're not moving in the direction of those works that God has for you. Because when you're doing what God has called you to do, you're not bored. You, you feel anything but purposeless. You, you sense. Some of you know this by experience. There's nothing like doing what you were created to do. When you're doing what you were created to do, you just, you're just in a groove, for lack of a better way to put it. You're just, you're there. It's like, man, this is it. This is what I was born to do. You know it. You sense it. You feel it. This is why God made me. Whatever it is. But that's the place, and that's where the excitement is, and that's where the adventure is. And that's where the wonders are, because you never know what God is going to do. You just never know. Come out tonight and listen to the testimony, as I'm going to talk with this couple who uh, left life here in California and went to South America and spent many years in South America ministering, went into a whole new culture, learned the language, ministered there. And then as they're they're ministering, meeting people in that culture from an entirely different culture with an entirely different uh, background, with, with an entirely different language on the other side of the planet. And there they are, they're ministering there in South America, but then they're, they're feeling this strange sort of tugging toward the, the other side of the world. And they keep meeting people from this particular country and they're uh, finding themselves drawn to that. And they're thinking, wait a second, we're, we're missionaries here in South America. Could it be possible that God is calling us to something entirely different and new? That we would go into a new culture and learn a new language and work with a whole new people group? And sure enough, that's what happened. Because you never know what God's going to do. He has works, good works that he's already prepared for you to walk in, for me to walk in. How do we get there? Again, in closing, we get there by just walking with Jesus. You're walking with Jesus and he's going to lead you right into those things. So that's it. It's that simple. Walk with Jesus. Just walk with him. Seek him. Stay in his word. Pray to him. Stay in fellowship with God's people. Do those things. Follow me. And he said, I will make you become whatever I've called you to be. That's the truth. And the glory of this whole thing in the context, let me remind you, finally is this. By God's grace, we have gone from walking according to the course of this world being led about by the devil to walking in the good works that God before prepared for us to walk in. You know, to me, one of the fascinating things is not only where God takes people and what he has them do, 
But one of the other fascinating things is the people that God takes places and uses. People who were at one time walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, children of disobedience, children of wrath, now the servants of Christ and bringing life and love and hope to people who never would have had it otherwise. That's the story that God wants to write for every one of us. And it's got its individual, unique features for each one of us. But the bigger picture of the story is the same thing. It's all for the glory of God. Lord, we thank you that you saved us by your grace. Undeserved favor you poured upon us. We thank you, Lord, that you granted us this salvation simply through faith. But Lord, we see also that you have ordained in advance works for us to walk in. Us that you have created anew, just like you created the universe, you recreated us. We are the first specimens of your new creation. Thank you, Lord, that you put it in our hearts to desire the things that you've planned for us to accomplish. And Lord, I would pray for each person today that they wouldn't take lightly those thoughts, those stirrings, those imaginations, those fantasies. But Lord, they take them to heart. They take them to you and ask you to show them what these things mean. Thank you, Lord, that as we walk with you, you lead us into those good works. And so here we are. Lead us, Lord, that we might fulfill the purpose for which we were created in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.